The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Amen. And you may be seated. You know, encouragement goes a long way, doesn't it? When someone encourages you. Maybe it's a note. Uh, someone's given you a, uh, a note just thanking you for something that you've done. Or maybe it's a word uh, of notice where they've noticed how that you have, uh, have you done something for them or how that you've improved in something. Uh, encouragement goes a very, very long way. In our passage here tonight, we're dealing with the subject of edifying one another. Edifying is the idea of encouragement. It's the idea of, of building up, uh, helping to, to be encouraged in your, in your spirit. And when Paul is dealing with these believers, he's dealing with a church that is made up of people from different backgrounds. You cannot look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ without realizing that we all come from different backgrounds. We hit on that uh, a fair amount. But again, just like in much of the early church, there were Jew uh, Jewish people and there were Gentile people there in the church at Rome. And so as Paul was talking to them, they come from different contexts. They come from um, from different cultures. In fact, uh, I was uh, listening to um, to a, a, an update from Brother Messler, and he was talking about how they were planning a new church. Uh, and part of it was because uh, they needed a church in an area and in a culture uh, where, where it was going to be diff and difficult to merge the two. And I'll, I'll be uh, sharing that, that uh, update with you. But just realizing many times that we come from very different backgrounds, and it is by the grace of God that we can blend together into one harmonious family. The Gentile believers were saved out of a pagan background. The Jewish believers, they had their rituals and so on. It wasn't so, so much a pagan background, but they still had to come to Christ, but they came from a different view. Uh, some of the different views came down to what people ate and the, the holidays they observed. And so as, as Paul looked on at this situation in Romans chapter 14 and dealing with Christian liberty, he was dealing with the Jews being appalled at the Gentile believers who would eat meat offered to idols. Now, they would go into the shanties, and I, I have a little bit of, uh, you know, a few places where I've seen this, uh, one in Honduras and also then over in, in, uh, in India, seeing where meat was on sale and uh, seeing kind of the oppression that, that, that is um, around sh uh, shops and different things in, in the markets and seeing some of that in those different countries. You don't so much see that. You go into Aldi, you buy meat. All right, it's not, it's not offered to idols uh, so much. But in some of these other countries, you might, you might see some of that going on. So the Gentiles would go, and without a conscience issue, they would go buy a slab of steak, uh, you know, a side of beef, and, and it was offered to an idol there, and, and it was uh, dedicated in that way. They'd buy it, they'd go home, and uh, they would uh, grill it up, and they would enjoy that. But their, their, their Jewish fellow believers in the church would hear about this or would be invited over to dinner with this and it'd be a great offense. Well, how could they do this? Don't they know they're offered idols? One of the things that Paul brought up to them, these idols are nothing. Uh, they, they don't mean anything. They're meaningless. They're vain. And so in eating a meat offered to them, it really doesn't mean anything except for the fact that in the Jewish conscience, it was a problem. And it was a hurdle for them to get over, and if they were to go sit down and eat that, it would have been uh, going against their conscience. On the flip side, the, Jew, um, the Gentiles were appalled for, at the Jews at making one day more holy than the next. And so you understand in the Jewish uh, culture, in the upbringing, uh, you know, as we see in the Old Testament, there is, there is many holy days. And for them, as they, they look on, why do you exalt one day over another? And so they look at this, and they don't understand the Jewish perspective, and the Jews don't understand the Gentile perspective, and you have this issue where uh, there is tearing back and forth at one another because they, they don't understand. And understanding also that there's Christian, there is liberty to, uh, to do those things, but there was not liberty to tear at one another. And so Paul is writing to this church, this collective church uh, that has a group of people that have been saved and they're gathering together from these different backgrounds to encourage them, grow in grace and don't allow these, these lifestyle habits that could be offensive to tear you apart. Uh, make sure that you're edifying one another. Make sure that you're going out of your way to live a life and to walk a Christian life that is edifying, encouraging, that builds one another up. You know what it is to walk away from a conversation depleted or defeated 
We've all had that situation. Unfortunately, we've all probably been the, the factor in, in, in defeating or de, you know, deflating somebody, not edifying, right? I mean, as, as hard as that is to admit, I know I've been there where I've deflated somebody. That's, that's, not, a, that's not a good thing. Paul's saying, don't, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. So he's asking them, and really the message of what he's getting at is would you be willing to live at your liberty in a spirit of spiritual maturity in order to edify one another? Are you willing to say, I'm not going to do this in this context. I'm not going to do this for the sake of my brother because I love him so much and I want to walk in spiritual maturity towards him. I'm going to limit my liberty. God doesn't say this is absolutely wrong. In fact, I don't have a convincement of heart that it is wrong. I don't have a biblical reason why, why it's wrong, but this would be offensive to him. And so, would you be willing to limit your liberty in a, in a spirit of maturity in order to edify one another? In a church family, our differences can either bring harm or we can work through them to see harmony. And Jesus always wants us to walk in peace as much as life in us, live peaceably with all men. It depends on how we handle them. So we can all grow in that, right? We can all grow in the way that we handle different situations. Uh, we can all grow in our ability to allow others to have some differences and, 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 and not... And, uh, and allow them to, to live their life. We can, we can grow in that, but we can also grow in the idea of, you know, I'm going to limit my liberty. I'm going to, I know this offends them, so I'm not going to do it around them. And I want to edify them. I want to build them up. So notice a passion for edification in verse number 19. A passion, let us therefore follow after. Uh, Paul brings it down to this, 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 Conclusion, if you will, this, therefore, let us therefore follow after this, let us run after this, and let us run after what? Living peaceably with one another. We want to be at peace with one another as a body, as a church family together. Let us run after that. And the question is, do we seek to live at peace with one another? Do you seek to live at peace with those in your home? Do you seek to live at peace with those in your workplace? Wherever you are, do you seek to live peaceably? There's four ideas that could go along with living peaceably, four helps, if you will, uh, that would help us to maintain peace in our relationships. Number one, stop living for self. You know, whenever our focus is on ourselves, we very rarely promote peace because it's all about us. Well, I was offended, or I was inconvenienced, or I this, and you realize how, how quickly we can begin to, uh, to live with anxiety and hostility towards others when our eyes are on ourselves. Oh, that the Lord would help our eyes to be on others this week. Romans 14 and verse number 7, For none of us liveth to himself, nor dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Our lives are lived towards others. And it's lived towards the Lord. We're not an island. We are, all of our decisions are impacting someone else. We want to live with another focus, not a self-focus. Number two, realize the gospel is our focus. A church that does not have a gospel focus will divide. Right? Because Jesus didn't leave us on earth for anything else. He didn't give us any other focus to be consumed with. And as soon as we begin to have other focuses, we get focused on ourselves, and we divide. And so one of the, the healthiest things for a church to do is say, you know what, we're all about the gospel. We're all about getting it to them. We're all about growing in the gospel personally. Notice uh, Romans 14 and verse number 9, for to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. What was Jesus' goal when he came to earth? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his focus. Does it not behoove us as the bride of Jesus Christ to be focused on the same thing that our bridegroom is focused on? Yes, the gospel. There's a story. How many of you know the, the, uh, the name Yogi Berra? Right? Uh, Yogi Berra... Um, the well-known catcher for the New York Yankees, and Hank Aaron, uh, he was the power hitter for the Milwaukee Braves uh, years ago, and the teams were playing in the, the World Series, and Yogi Berra was known for kind of chattering uh, and just kind of uh, distracting his, his, uh, his, uh, his opponent, and uh, so he's, he's, he's up uh, on the, on the 
uh, the mound, and he is, uh, he is ready, to, uh, he's ready to do this, uh, do his typical thing. And so as Aaron comes to the plate, Yogi uh, tried to distract him. Henry, you're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to hold it so that you can read the trademark. Aaron didn't say anything. But when the next pitch came, he hit it to the left field bleachers. Uh, after rounding the bases and tagging uh, up at home, uh, home base, uh, Aaron looks at Yogi Berra and says this, I didn't come here to read the emblem. I didn't come here to read the emblem. And you know what? Sometimes we can get so just misfocused. People say something, we can get misfocused. Uh, focus makes a difference. What are we focused on? What are you going to be focused on this week? What's going to be what drives you this week as you go about your daily business? You say, well, i got to go to work. Uh, shouldn't we be focused on, Lord, uh, set people in my path that I can talk to you about before you come back? Uh, as I go about my business, sometimes we get in our minds, well, I don't have time to witness. i got to focus on work. Do you realize how much can be accomplished in split-second uh, conversations? You know, just these moments of time, divine moments of time with other people as you're standing in line uh, waiting for your lunch or as you have a phone call or as you have the delivery truck driver drop something off at your office. Or whatever the case may be, focus makes all the difference. Oh, that we'd be focused in the right place and on the gospel. Oh, that we'd be focused on others and not ourselves. But notice number three, remember that all things will get settled at the judgment seat of Christ. God knows the, the interpersonal issues. It's amazing to me, I, I said this this week to my, um, to my wife, why is it that my, my kids, and this happens with all my kids, so kids don't get embarrassed, but why is it with, all, with, uh, with my kids that, uh, that you know, they can be having a squabble, they come up and tell dad, and, 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 the, and as soon as I say, go tell them that dad said. It's like it's a magic word. And it works itself out. Like Dad said, you realize that we're going to all stand before God and God's going to iron it all out? And if your fellow believer was wrong, you know, God has the ability to iron that out. The Holy Spirit still lives within them. He has the ability to iron it all out. But the fact is, we will stand together at the judgment seat of Christ, not, not the great white throne judgment. That's a big deal, folks. You do not stand at the, the great white throne. You, you observe I believe we observe, and I, 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 don't even, I don't even want to contemplate that observation. Because the Bible says they're going to be cast into hell as, as he reads from the book of life and doesn't find their name there. That's, that's, that's a horrifying thought. But we will be at the beam of seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, and, and God will judge us according to our works, our service towards him. Romans 14, verse 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou, uh, uh, dost thou set uh, not thy brother? For we shall all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. We are accountable to God. Your fellow believers, even those within your home, in the sense of your spouse, we're not accountable. We are accountable to God. And we can find so much rest in our hearts. We can find the ability to live peaceably with one another when we say, you know what, that's in God's ballpark. That's God's business to take care of. Know that we'd have that submitted type of heart uh, towards one another. Number four, avoid causing others to stumble. Look at Romans 14, verse 13. Let us not there judge uh, one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So what does God want us to, to do? He wants us to stop judging one another. That's God's job. And by the way, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing. Uh, you hear people, don't judge me, don't judge me, right? You hear people say, uh, say stuff like that. But legitimately, God does not want us putting ourselves in the place of God over one another. It will be settled out up there, but what God does want us to tend to is making sure that we're not a stumbling block to one another. And uh, the Holy Spirit is good enough to guide us in that, in that matter. So avoid causing others to, to stumble. First uh, Corinthians 8 and verse 8, but meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat or whether 
we the better, neither if we eat not, or we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. So if you know something is a stumbling block to somebody, be careful about that. Be careful. Step away from that. Wearsby said it this way, there is one thing we should judge. We should judge ourselves to see whether we are abusing our Christian liberty and making others stumble. Certainly nothing is unclean of, of itself, but some practices and habits are considered unclean by others. Therefore, if we deliberately do something that makes our brother to stumble, we are not living in accordance with the rule of love. That requires Christian maturity on all of our parts towards one another. So let's help one another walk in peace. Live peaceably. Look at verse number 19. We should build strongly. Let us therefore follow after. This ought to be our pursuit. This is what we're focused on. We want to live peaceably with one another, and we want to be at peace in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, and the things wherewith one may edify one another. This is part of what we're to follow after. The things wherewith we may edify one another. So don't do this, but do this. Don't live with hostility towards one another. Live in a way that edifies one another. And so he says, focus on this. Focus on building up. And uh, if you'll notice here, the word edify, uh, there's, a, there's a word edifice, right? The building up of something. So we should purposely look for ways to edify, to build up our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We should purposefully look um, for ways, husbands, to edify our wives, to build them up. We should purposefully look for ways to edify our children or to edify our grandchildren. Uh, purposefully look for those ways. We don't know who is around us and who's, who's always listening in, but we ought to look for ways to edify. According to the book Leadership in Turbulent Times, it's an essay book about four different presidents, Abraham Lincoln learned to become uh, an uh, an orderly young man and uh, a, a man who could use his words in a powerful way by listening to Baptist preachers in Illinois. He grew up in that context. Uh, they challenged him in both his delivery style and his speech. And the fact is, as you look back on uh, presidents, I even heard a, a story uh, from our, our vice president this week. Uh, you never know who's listening in. You never know who you're edifying. You never know who's watching your testimony. Even in your classes, teachers, you never know who you are talking to, who is the, the future in that class. We never know and how important it is to use our speech in a way that edifies. You might be talking to a future preacher that God is going to use to shake, uh, shake an area for the Lord. You might be talking to a future missionary. When a child comes along and says, hey, God has called me to be a missionary, don't despise the day of small things. Uh, don't despise that. God used Samuel. God used Samuel, and even, even Eli had the good sense to, to encourage him and build him up in, in the way that he responded to God. How important it is to edify one another, build them up. When something good happens, instead of taking the, the credit towards yourself, look for ways to share it with others. Build up, encourage others around you. Who in your life can you purposefully edify this week? Maybe it's someone there's a deficiency where someone is, is, is limping in their Christian life and, and you know it. Who can you edify? How can you build them up? What can you do to encourage them? It might be taking them out to a cup of coffee. It might be uh, spending some extra time with them. It might be sending a note. But how can you edify that person? And likely, the Lord is going to place that person on your heart. Perhaps you've seen someone today that just seems like they need a little bit of encouragement. Uh, take the effort, encourage them, follow along with that this week. So there is the, the, pursuit, um, the passion of edification, and it's something that, that Paul says, I, I want you to follow after Roman believers. I, I want this to be a come apart of your daily pursuit. But notice the priority in verse number 21. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. This is a priority. If you know it's a bothersome thing to that person, it is good to live without offense towards them. It's good to make sure that your lifestyle does not 
hurt them. It is good that your habits, your attitudes do not hurt them and offend them. When an offense uh, towards someone is made in the manner of our lifestyle, we do violate Scripture. We violate this Scripture. Now, there's times where we, we won't know that something offends someone else. I'm sure you've had that circumstance. And, uh, and it, it, it takes you by surprise. But when we do, oh, that we make it a priority. Titus 2 and verse number 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And I'm thankful for that. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That is to be the living of the Christian in this, in this day. Soberly, righteously, and godly. How that would impact our fellow believers. But, well, none of us are perfect. We're going to struggle. We're going to mess up. All of our actions have ripple effects, right? They can be destructive or they can be helpful. God, would you help my actions? Would you help my decisions not to be destructive? And that's a big deal when we're talking about the context of the, of the church, of being together. We all come from the different backgrounds and uh, no doubt here, even those that are raised in Christian homes, different perspectives how important it is to put this stuff into, into play. Live without offense, but live with faith. Notice this verse in verse 22 deals with our conscience. With our conscience. The conscience is an amazing thing, isn't it? It really is. Now, uh, the conscience can be trained. And the conscience must be informed by the word of God. Uh, the Bible talks about the weak conscience. A, a conscience that is uh, afflicted. A conscience that that might struggle. Um, and that isn't something to look down on in, in a condescending way. The Bible's not talking about it in that way. But it's a conscience where one is very sensitive to something, and you might not have a conscience issue with that. It might be something you eat. It might be something you listen to. It might be some, uh, somewhere that you go. You don't have a conscience issue with that, but someone else does. But the Bible does say that whatever we do, we are to do with faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is what? Yeah. So we ought to be able to accomplish that in good, good faith. So whatever we do, especially those things that are uh, questionable, we need to make sure that we can do them with faith towards God. That we have clearance from God that it's all right. Now notice again verse 22. Hast thou faith? Yes. Have it to thyself before God. So what he's getting at here, you have a certain decision or a certain action, you have a certain uh, uh, thing that you do, and you, uh, he's asking, do you have faith about it? Well, have it towards God. Have this in your relationship towards God. But there, someone else might not have faith in this subject or in this, this arena. Don't do it around them. Have it between you and God. Be careful about that. Our faith needs to be built upon truth or is built upon truth. Uh, the Bible tells that in Romans chapter number 10. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It comes from truth. And we must stay true to our convictions that, that God is he, he presents to us in the word and he challenges our conscience and gives us convictions in our hearts and says, you should not do this, but you should do this. We need to live according to those convictions that God brings us to and to those beliefs. We have the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, if he convicts us, and he tells us not to do something, we should not do it. Why? Because we then go against our conscience. We go against what we know is right. We quench the Holy Spirit of God. If something is questionable, we should ask, we should pray, uh, is this something I can do in good faith before God? Whatsoever is not of faith is, what? Sin. So we don't just bulldoze through it, right? Right? Well, I, I don't see something clear that, that says it against it, but if there's something in your heart that's given a check in your spirit, I shouldn't be doing this. We need to live in faith, good faith, before, before our God. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. If we go against our conscience, do you realize that we've, we hurt our conscience? You know, Paul told Timothy that those that hurt their conscience open themselves up to shipwreck, spiritual shipwreck. Have you met a person that went against their conscience, made a decision that they were, they were advised not to make, and they went against their conscience, they went against their, their better judgment, they knew what is right, and then down the road they, they, they began to, to waver and re, uh, go into spiritual shipwreck? 
Do you know that we all, every one of us sitting here tonight, could be in that same situation if we don't learn to listen and, and follow the Holy Spirit in our lives and not go against our conscience? It's a big deal every time the Holy Spirit checks our conscience. We can rationalize it away. I have been there before where I tried to rationalize something the Lord was convicting of me, uh, convicting me, and my conscience was hurting, it was burdened. You know what it is to have a conscience that's heavy? You go to bed at night, get in the quiet times of your day, and, and you're thinking about that, and it's there. We go against that. You say, well, uh, you know, I, I, I'm weak in my conscience, and you know, it's, it, it's really super tender. Don't go against, don't violate your conscience. And we need, to, we need to never laugh at someone else's conscience or ridicule someone else's conscience. Uh, if, if that is in their relationship between them and God, you need to encourage people to obey a truth-guided conscience. And, uh, and so we see in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse number 7, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, that understanding, that truth, for some with conscience of idol unto this hour eat it as a, a thing offered unto idols, and their conscience being weak is defiled. In other words, this person eats this meat that's been offered to idol, and they have a problem. They don't have a knowledge that, hey, the idol is nothing. They haven't, they haven't reconciled that in their mind, and they're still really struggling with the fact, I'm eating something that was offered to a, a, an, an idol, and he says when they do, they defile their conscience. You realize when we go against our conscience... We have the ability to see it defiled. Um, that's a problem. And so our goal is always to maintain a tender conscience. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you about, you need to, you need to follow through on that. You need not push back against that. Oh, how careful we must be. Going against what God has laid on our heart is wrong, right? Regardless of the specific issue. I don't have peace about that. I don't have faith for that. Obey God. Listen to the Holy Spirit of God. You remember what the Bible says in John 16 and verse 14? That he is a spirit of truth, and he will guide us into all truth. What's it telling us? That he will be able to always guide us in the right path. He is also, James chapter 1 and verse number 5, he is the spirit of wisdom. He is wisdom. And he says, when you ask me, if you lack wisdom... You ask, I give it liberally. I don't, I don't uh, discriminate in the way that I give out wisdom. What is wisdom? It's the right application of truth, of knowledge. And so the Holy Spirit of God can guide us in that. And so if he is, if he is prompting us in our heart and dealing with our conscience about something, we must not go against that. The guiding principle in the Bible uh, is very clear in this. If something disobeys God's word, it is wrong. If something violates our conscience, it is wrong for us. We must, we must take heed. So the passion of edification, this is something we need to follow after. The priority, make sure that we're not offending one another. Make sure our priority is how can I build you up? Not in a false, flat, a flattering sort of way. By the way, flattery is wrong. And, doesn't, and don't we all understand that? Have you been flattered before where you're like, whew, that just kind of just gives me a little bit of the creeps right? Yeah, we, don't, we don't need flattery. We're not looking to flatter people. We are looking to build them up, build them up with spiritual truth. And so notice what the Bible gives to us as a body, as a church, to help us grow in this matter of edification. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 11. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 11. Ephesians 4 deals with the gifts uh, in the church. Uh, we do not all have the same gifts. Um, I was talking to someone this week about uh, gifts, and they asked, how do you do that? I'm like, I have a gift, and you have a gift, and they both edify the church, right? Uh, God perfectly gifts the church to be able to work together and to be able to grow together and to be able to help each other uh, in our Christian life. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? You are here because God wants you here, and he has a gift that this church needs. Do you believe that? I do. You have a gift that this church desperately needs. No one, no one uh, is, is useless in this body. Uh, you might feel useless, but that's not from God, right? 
you have a gift. And so Ephesians chapter number 4 helps us understand that, but particularly verse number 11 and forward helps us understand what God has given to the church to help perfect us and mature us in our edification. This idea of perfecting is to be mature, but spiritual edification comes as we complete and mature one another. So notice in verse number 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, all right? Now he goes on to say in verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So he goes on to say that, but let's just stop here. Think about apostles. What were apostles? It is Sunday night, pop quiz. What, what is an apostle? What is the, the, uh, the qualification of being an apostle? Okay. Specifically, what about Jesus Christ in person? Okay, there you are. Now, if you go to the book of Acts in the first chapter, when they were selecting the replacement apostle for Judas, what did they say was a requirement there? You remember? Not just seeing him alive, but that they had seen him from the baptism all the way to the, to the resurrection. Yes, sir. And so Paul says he was an apostle born out of what? Due season. He did see the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. And I'm not sure how much Paul was around when, when Christ was, I, I'm not sure how much he saw Christ's ministry from a distance as a Pharisee. Uh, who knows? I don't, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. But he was born as an apostle out of, out of, uh, out of due season. So an apostle is an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, and, and these things are true. Prophets, they gave an, a, a revelatory message. We touched on this a little bit last, last week. But with the completed Bible uh, that we have today, uh, in reality, there's not need for the apostles, who are, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians were the foundation of the church, or the foundation upon which the church was built. So whereas the the, the, the Catholic Church will elevate the apostles to a, a very high uh, elevation. Jesus just simply says that they, they went forward as his witnesses, as his preachers, as the foundation of the church, and, and they were part of establishing the church with the things that they had been taught. And so once the Bible was completed, the need for the, of the office of the apostle and the office of the, of the prophets not needed in that we have the completed word of God. Now, there is a sense with, in, in, in the term prophet in Scripture, because, I, again, I've told you about this, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number, I believe it's 19, says the spy is not prophesying. Uh, it does, does speak to the foretelling of truth. And certainly that was a part of, of uh, their ministry, the preaching, the proclamation of truth. But in the sense of us getting new revelation, we don't get new revelation today. We have the completed revelation of God. It is the, um, the completed canon of Scripture. And so God gifted to, that, uh, to the church some apostles, prophets, and then he says some evangelists. Now what's an evangelist? This is ripe for all sorts of things. Let's break down that word. What does evangelist mean? What is, where, where does that word come from? Evangel, to evangelize. So what is the primary focus of an evangelist? Say that again. Proclaimer of good news to get people saved. So his primary job is a part, he's gifted to the church, by the way, to stir up the church in their, to, to not only personally be engaged in, in seeking to win souls, but to also to help stir up the church. I, I firmly believe one of the things as we just look at the landscape of, uh, of evangelism in our, our day to day, many times I say evangelist and you think truck, trailer, traveling preacher, right? But when you look into the, into the early church, uh, they didn't have a truck and a trailer parking in the parking lot 
and holding a week of meetings at, at a church. I will tell you right now, I really believe there's a huge shift happening in our country with a perspective towards evangelists. At least I, I should say it, in our country, in, in the independent Baptist realm. I just was listening to a, uh, an evangelist, Dwight Smith, um, yesterday give, a, uh, give a, an update and uh, he's been all across the country, but he's been holding these victory uh, gospel cru uh, crusades. And in one, he determined to be there three weeks in a row under a big tent and preaching the gospel. The meeting opened up and they went six. And they had, I, I believe it was 50, 50 plus people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that was also here in Ohio. Um, but what I'm saying, that is, that is exactly that. Coming in, helping the church to evangelize and to, to spread the good news. It's not just about a set of revi uh, revival meetings. Um, I think revival meetings are great, but in the sense of an evangelist, the gift to the church is the helping to do the work or do the mission of evangelizing the lost. And I do believe that God even gifts people, uh, perhaps they're not called to full-time evangelism, but I do believe that God gifts people within the church who have a particular burden for souls. And you get around them and they say, I was witnessing to this person, I was witnessing to this person, I was witnessing to this person. You get around them and you're a little bit challenged in your, in your witnessing, right? And I, uh, I, I, I'm thankful for that in a, in a church. But he gifts that to the church. And then he says, pastors and teachers. All right, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Let's um, break apart this, this idea of pastor. Acts 20 and verse 28. Take heed, therefore, Paul speaking, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you, do you remember? Overseers. To feed the flock on the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. So it belongs to Christ, but a pastor is given as an overseer of the flock, not a dictator, the Bible says, not, not lords over God's heritage. It doesn't belong to him. He doesn't have a, a, a authority in, in, in the dictatorial sense of the word. He is to oversee, he's to watch over, and his primary duty is to feed the flock. To shepherd the, the flock is the, uh, is the idea of the word there. So he is an overseer who feeds God's church. Hebrews 13 and verse number 17, Obey them which have the rule over you and submit yourselves. You say, whoa, that sounds really, really strong. Don't let that scare you. Uh, if, if in biblical balance, if you take what God commands a pastor not to do, to be a lord over God's heritage, to dictate it, and, 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 and to... to, uh, to uh, to use the same authority that the Gentiles use and the unsaved world uses, like as a, a CEO, God says, no, that's, that's not the picture of the church. It's a shepherd. One of the most challenging things and probably uh, uh, very helpful to me as a pastor um, and even helpful to me in my own personal spiritual life was our time through Psalm 23 earlier this year as we were on live stream. Just to see the heart of the shepherd, that's what God that's what Jesus is to each one of us. And that's what God calls pastors to emulate, though we're not the, the shepherd. He is given as an under-shepherd, one who oversees and feeds and tends to his flock. In fact, he told Peter, when Peter was on the seashore of Galilee, what did he say? Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. What was it? Shepherd them. Care for their needs. Tend to, their, tend to their spiritual uh, well-being. For they watch for your souls, it goes on to say in Hebrews 13 and verse number 17. Why obey? Why follow with them? Why submit and say, yes, Lord, I, I hear what they're preaching. I hear what they're communicating. Why follow with? For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. Do you realize the awesome responsibility? And I say awesome, the, the, the terrific, the uh, in some ways, horrific responsibility of a pastor that he, he leads, he oversees a flock, he feeds, all with the mindset that one day he is going to give an account in such a way that no one else in the congregation is going to give an account. I want you to think about that. that that's all. And so even as you pray uh, for, for me, I appreciate prayer that I would I would have that always in mind that I'm going to give an account for every decision that I make here and every message I preach here and everything that I do here and the way that I, that I care. I, I'd appreciate prayer in that. That's, that's a big responsibility, wouldn't you agree? That's a really big responsibility that God gives and God gives on the grace to, to carry that. But 
there is a, a sobriety that comes along. There is a watching for souls. We're not just watching for, well, did they do this or did they not do this? Or what? It's a watching for souls. Where are they in their spiritual life with God? I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, many times, uh, I'll wake up in, in the day, get going in the day, and God begins to impress individual names. Where are they in their spiritual walk with the Lord? And it's amazing how many times the Lord, Lord exactly aligns that with something they're going through or, or whatever, but the Lord impresses that. It is a soul watch. It's a soul care. I can't see what's going on in people's hearts. Sometimes I wish I... No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but it's a soul care. And he says, they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. So there is a sense where there is going to be... Now, this isn't, this isn't on the pastor's side, though. A pastor who has not done the right thing, there's going to be a, a tearful giving of an account. There, that, that's going to be a, a sober day in front of God. However, in this verse, it is that they may do it. Your response to the truth allows me to give a joyful account to God about you. Now, that, that is also very, very important for us to grab a hold of and us to embrace and realize God has created something in the church and gifted something to the church to help, us, to help us be prepared to stand before God. And uh, it behooves me to pray for you, and it behooves you to pray for me. And uh, the Lord would help us uh, to do that. So the Bible instructs us to obey those that have the rule over us. He's given us pastors. He's given us teachers who have, a, an, a, have an authority from God in the sense that Jesus had authority from God to communicate truth. They have a calling from God to communicate truth and impart God's infallible word into our lives that we might be edified. Now, society all around us is suspicious of authority, isn't it? And, and in many ways, in our, in our churches, I, 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 uh, just in the past uh, week, two weeks, heard of another very, very well-known church, and there's a, uh, another moral failing that, that had happened on a, on a, a pretty wide, I, I would say, probably an international, uh, in an international way. And you know, all that does is, is irregardless of whether you agree with a, with a church or not, if that happens, it brings shame to the name of the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? It does. Society is suspicious of, of all authority. Society is suspicious of pastors. You know, the idea of, of uh, in yesteryear, you, you maybe even see it portrayed in, a, in, in a, uh, an old movie, uh, the, the, the reverend in town. Uh, there isn't that same respect towards the office of the pastor, and some of that's due to how the office of the pastor or the calling of the pastor has been handled. Um, so, and the Bible even talks about that, and the qualifications of the pastor, they, he is to have a good report without. And... Society is very suspicious of that, but may, in God's economy of the church or in the family of God, may what is going on in society not rob us of the wonderful relationship that God has, has designed for us to have in order to edify and to mature in our, in our Christian faith so that we can stand before him and, uh, and have joy in his, in his presence we should avoid bringing that spirit, the spirit that's that skeptical spirit that's all around the world into our into a relationship. Uh, one of the things that I do as we have new members class, starting points class, is I give out a, a book entitled "You and Your Pastor." Um, genuinely, I can say with 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 uh, complete transparency, my heart is to be a pastor after God's own heart. I'm, you know I'm human as, as much as the next person, and you realize that I'm, I'm not always going to live up to that. But the fact is, as you pray, pray that God will help, help me. But I am also conscious of the fact that, that many times people will come into a church and they have preconceived notions about how pastors are or what pastors expect. Even we all have different preconceived notions from other experiences that all play into our relationship right? And so one of the things I, I, I give out is this book entitled You and Your Pastor, and it's a biblical, just a biblical uh, writing out of, hey, what is a pastor? 
on what is spirit, uh, spiritual authority that the Bible talks about. What is this matter of obeying them which have the rule over you and they, they watch for your soul? What is the relationship supposed to look like? Because a healthy pastor-believer uh, relationship is going to help our edification. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, it will. And so uh, one day as a pastor, uh, I will give an account to the Lord. And so it is wise for us to all respond together in a way that says, yes, Lord, to the truth that you're communicating and that you've gifted to us through the, um, through the pastor. And so that is the, 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 the teacher uh, of edification are these that God has gifted in verse number 11. But notice, notice the testimony in verse number 12. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Do you realize that, that God has designed it so that as we grow up in our Christian life, that we grow in our Christianity, that there will be clear proof in our testimony. That as we serve and as we go about our Christian life, there will be a clear proof of that. There will be seen that we are growing and we're being brought to maturity by those that God has gifted to us to help us along in that journey. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse number 10, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see thy face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Does that, that cause you to be unnerved? If a pastor said, hey, I really wanna, I want to spend some time with you. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to, uh, to, to talk together that I can perfect, that I can help mature what is lacking in your faith. Well, it ought to be praise the Lord. That's what God has given to me to help me along. And so Paul is saying to them, hey, this has happened so that you might be perfected, that you might be matured in your faith for the work of the ministry, notice for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building up of the house, for the building upon the foundation of, of Jesus Christ, for the building up, this has happened. The church's greatest building project is not buildings, but the lives of Christians. Uh, even as uh, we look towards 2021, as we uh, ask the Lord, Lord, where do you want our church to go in the future days? Where do you want us to go over the next uh, uh, four and five, um, five years? How do you want us to go? Some of that may include rearrangement. Might even include some rearrangement of our auditorium. It might include some rearrangement of the way that we do things as we ask God to help us. But none of it is more important than what is happening here, the building of lives. By the way, if you realize the building of lives isn't always consistent. It's up and down. There's, there's, they, you, know, you see God work and the devil gets in and he, 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 he throws a dart and you have, to, you have to keep on working at the building of, up of lives. But the greatest building project isn't, isn't buildings, it's people. Although we'd always have that perspective, one of the, the things that I'm, I'm so very grateful for in, in, in you all is your heart for people. And I see it repeated over and over and over again. And I constantly get the feedback from people that come through here for a first time. You, you, I felt welcomed into the family. Praise the Lord for that. Let's keep that perspective. And so I want us to realize that what Ephesians 4 is telling us is not, this matter of edification is not just a matter of the pastor having this duty. Uh, it is the matter of every every believer in the church having this responsibility. And so would you look at verse number 16 with us? Verse number 16 of Ephesians. You're there and I am not. Ephesians chapter 4. Would someone read that for me? Someone there? Just stand up, one of you guys. Stand up and read that right from where you are. So where does this edification come from? Yes, it comes from pastors and evangelists and teachers in the church. But we have part in that. You have part in that. Isn't that awesome? Your gift in operation in this church family serves to edify this body. It also means when we withhold our gift from, from ministry and from an active part in the ministry, it means that the church actually is torn down, not built up. Isn't that a sobering thought? And at that point, there's not one person, not one person, not one person 
one believer who's not important to the whole body. Everybody is important. And so, 1 Corinthians 4, verse number 12, and labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we, we suffer, we're there in the body, we're working together there. Ephesians 4 and verse number 29, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Even in our words, we have a part in edifying one another. We minister grace to others, we edify one another, and we contribute to the unity of the church. Uh, years ago, there was a preacher that went to Chapness Hall in Yorkshire, England, to hear a noted cellist and uh, a conductor uh, named Sir John Barabali lead a symphony. He was sitting and enjoying this, and at one point along the way, uh, towards the end, a friend nearby looked at uh, the, the crowd that was gathered around in this great hall looked at this preacher, and he asked this question, when will we see the Chapness Hall filled to capacity for a Christian service? The pastor pointed to the members of the orchestra playing on the stage and said, when we see 80 men willing to give absolute obedience to the word of Christ as these men gift Barabelli. And it's amazing that if we will just give allegiance to our Lord and obey him, not live in offense towards one another, but seek to edify for his glory's sake and for his will. It's amazing how God can do great things in the church. The church is edified together and built up. And I think as we consider this, we do need to follow the lead of our director. He gives us his word. He gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Jesus comes into the world to give life. Satan comes into the world to bring death and destroy is that not true? The, on John 10 and verse number 10, the thief cometh but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And we have the choice. We can be a destroyer, one that de-edifies, <laughs> not, not quite a word, but destroys, or one that is an edifier. And I know uh, you're here on a Sunday night and you, you want to be an edifier. So our prayer should be, Lord, help me. Lord, help me to put that into practice even this week, even as I walk out the door tonight. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given each one of us to edify. And I pray as we continue to grow as a, as a church that is focused on one another, focused on loving one another, Lord, I pray that you would help us with this matter of edifying, building up one another in our most holy faith. Thank you for what you'll do even as a result of this time together tonight. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.